Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Dr. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones has been on my show before. I've had him as a guest to talk about Black History Month, and I've had him as a guest to talk about previous books that he has written, and he has a new one. Welcome, Jerry Jones, to this conversation. Thank you so much. Let's get started. I have so many questions. Okay. This new book is called They Included Me. Yes. Where did that title come from? Well, I already had the book almost finished and had no title. And by accident, you know, I'm my background is, in addition to teaching, was uh, music, is music. And so there was a song that I just sort of picked up by accident uh, by one of my favorite uh, uh, composers from the past. And it was entitled, He Included Me. And it was a song that I had never heard before. So I did my research, found out the words to the song, and found out that that appropriately described me. Uh, When I say included me, I mean in the three teaching jobs that I had, they included me. So That's that's, what I wondered. It's about the teaching jobs. And, you know, this thing about being included, my first thought would be a lot of that has got to be about race. Yes, some, a lot. (laughs) So let's start with education and your elementary school and just review. Your previous book was called uh, Go and Come Come Again. Again, Go and Come Again. And you talked about some of the things in there. Uh, But let's just review the the story about the segregated schools. Sure, sure, sure. Well, my elementary school education, in retrospect, may not have been as as terrible as some would think it was when you compare it to the schools in general of the 1940s and 50s and whatnot. There were lots of one-room schools all over the place. Some were black and some were white. Our school actually had four rooms, but when I went to the first grade in 1953, there was just enough students to fill up the one room. It had the pot belly stove. It had the outside toilets. It had the traditional uh, boards uh, that you would think of in the 50s and 60s. And we had one teacher, and he was a man, and he taught all of the grades. And what, all seven grades? One or two grades weren't there simply because there were no students to enroll that particular year, but still six or five grades for one teacher uh, in a less-than-perfect building was a challenge, to say the least. I can only imagine. But you said that he was significant to you because he was male. Yes. And you didn't have a father in your home. That's Tell us correct. that story. Well, my mom had been divorced back in the 40s, and so historically elementary school then and perhaps now as well you think of women teachers as being the norm or maybe the 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 most uh percentage wise so i ended up having two male teachers one taught me grades 1 to 4 and then the other man came in in 1957 and taught me grades five, six, and seven, so four and three. 
you describe the book. You're talking about Little Tiny Glade Spring, yes, Virginia, when yes. you're talking about this school system that you were in. In your book, you call it the colored school. Yes. Now, some people today would go, oh, my gosh, that's politically incorrect. Yes. Well, there was no sign outside the building. Uh, it was just a frame building, a wooden building up on a hill as you leave Glade Spring headed towards uh, Saltville. And there was no sign on the building. But the reason the word colored was thrown in there is because the two elementary schools, the white one on one side of town and ours on the other side, they had to distinguish them because often they both were referred to as Glade Spring Elementary. I remember one time after the schools had closed, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm trying to make a point here. One time there was a fire uh, uh, at the uh, our school. Uh, the school was not there. I mean, it was closed. But the fire department, when they said there is a fire at the Glade Spring Elementary, they went to the white building. And somehow somebody told it, it's not that one, it's the other one. So in other words, we were the other, if you will. And that happened, oh, I guess maybe uh, early 60s, something like that, before the school was completely shut down. And it was referred to as the colored the school. The colored school. And yeah. you just have accepted that term and because that's the way it was for that's you. That's the way it was then. And, of course, when you're five or six years old, I started when I was about five or six, your vocabulary is limited anyway, and you basically say stuff that you hear other people say, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff. You know how that was. Yeah, it's yeah. what you knew. It was the term that you used, and... You know, to heck with people who try to tell you, of all people, right. you know, why why you shouldn't say that. That's exactly. crazy. But um, after the elementary school, then things got really interested in the world yes. of segregation yes. in your life. All the way to Bristol. When I say all the way, most people today will say, well, that's just 30 minutes down the interstate, depending on how fast you think you can go. But back in the day when we were bused to our high school in Bristol, I remember my first year was 1960, where there was no Interstate 81 in 1960. And even if there had been, you can't stay on the interstate the whole time when the children live in various places. So the bottom line was that if I got on the bus at 7.30 in the morning, we got to our school in Bristol at about 9 a.m. Because of the stops you because had to make. Because of the stops, exactly. And I that was if it was a good day weather-wise. I wouldn't have thought of that because your book said something about, you know, that it would be a 45-minute drive, but I didn't think about that. Yes, yes, yes. you got to make all those stops. Stops. And then you just have to tell this. I know we've talked about it before, but if people have heard you before, they'll be happy to hear it again because I'm always amazed to hear this story. Mm -hmm. You took a bus to school at Douglas Elementary, I mean at Douglas High School, High school yes. in Bristol, in from Bristol. Blade Spring. Yes. You got real involved in extracurricular activities. Yes. As yes. did lots of other as students. As did a lot of other students, too. Of 
course, I was not involved in football. Wonder why. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. You describe yourself as skinny, and we're going to talk about yeah. that. But, but I was involved in the what music they had, which for me was the, well, we call it the Glee Club. I guess now we would call it Chorus. Uh, that was my main involvement. But we would go back to our events because the bus, after it got to Glaze Spring, lo and behold, there were some nights when it would turn around and take us back to Bristol in maybe an hour and a half from separating the day cycle from the after-school cycle. So you go home, you have a snack, snack, and then you get on the bus and go right go back Go right again. back. And then get home sometimes as late, depending on what the event was. I mean, music didn't last that long, but football games tend to last. They started, what, 7.30 or something like that. And then sometimes there would be a dance or something after the football game. I can remember some nights getting home between 11 and midnight. And the catch was our football games and other sports that had to use facilities in Bristol proper, uh, we only could use those facilities on Thursday night because Friday night was for the white school. Okay, Jerry, I'm going to take a real turn here. You mentioned in your book that you yes. have a political or civic side to yourself. Yeah. And analysis that you go through in examining the life that you've lived. I want to bring this question to you from today. Mm -hmm. There is a movement in this country to say that we should not talk about racism in schools oh. because it will be divisive and that white children might feel guilty or be made to feel like that what you experienced was their fault mm -hmm. and that it's better to just say that everybody was happy and got along and we don't want to bring up those divisive issues. Right. What would you say to that? Well, when I first moved back here, if someone had told me that I would be in front of groups talking about what might be considered touchy things, I would have said, you must be kidding. You must have the wrong Jerry Jones. But it's interesting how things changed gradually. And one thing that I have to mention uh, that uh, sort of guided me through these adventures, there was a television show way back in maybe the 50s or something called Dragnet. And it was about... Uh, police and all of that, but I took away one thing that the guy often said uh, on that show. He says, just stick to the facts. And so somehow I tried to use that. And when I've been asked to speak, and by the way, I've been asked to speak at a lot of places. I mean, uh, schools in Bristol, like the uh, uh, high school that's there now, uh, detention center over in Honeaker, uh, churches at Martin Luther King time, the list. I read it and say, that can't be me. But anyway, my point is I take away all of my uh, emotion. I take away all of my gut feelings, and I start outlaying the facts, along with some humor because that's just a part of my nature. 
And so I have never had anyone to walk out on me, knock on wood. I never had anyone to sort of challenge me. What I get is more questions about more details. So I guess what I'm telling you then is, for me, it was okay to talk about these things, but my personality sort of made it uh, something that didn't turn people off. You soften it, Jerry. Well, maybe so. I mean, but what did, so again, back to the central point. Yes. What do you think about this movement to say don't talk oh, about Oh, no. Now, if you're talking about children that have difficulties or something, I mean, there's a, an exception to every rule. But I'm simply saying that I've, if I were a teacher today, of course, they would probably throw me out the back door, not even the front door. But if I were a teacher today, I would vote that they continue to talk about it uh, because that's the only way you can improve. It's history. You, and can't, you can't hide it. You can't hide it. My guest today is Dr. Jerry Jones. He's an author. He's an educator. He's a musician. And in the author category... His most recent book is called They Included Me, and we're talking about the inclusion. We're getting to the school system, but right now we're in the segregation part of Jerry's life. Jerry, in this new book, you make a comment. Mm -hmm. at the, in the early part of the book, you said something about in your previous books, there were a lot of people that, or things that you didn't talk about or that people didn't really know you. Mm -hmm. You just said... A minute ago that you Oops. set aside your, uh, or just catch things flying off the desk <laughs> yeah. here, okay. uh, in your, in your um, book that you uh, said that you, or just a minute ago you said you take away your emotions. Let's talk about the things that people don't know about okay. you and about your emotions. Okay. So you look back on this, you, you say, I talk about the facts. Mm-hmm. The segregation, the racism, those are facts. What were your emotions? What are your emotions now about all that? Well, my emotions have changed over time. Uh, I think the older I get, the I, I used to sort of feel like I had to take the discussion to the ultimate degree and that I had to have the last word. I don't seem to think that anymore. What I'd like to do is to get other people's opinions on things. I think that's what a lot of people do wrong. It's either you agree with me or I have nothing more to say. Well, that's not my uh, way of doing things. I don't think it ever has been. Uh, one thing that people don't know about me is, well, there are several things, but one thing is most people, when they go home, they have someone boy, you should have heard so-and-so at that meeting tonight. When I go home, it's just me. All of my family, all of my close family is deceased. Uh, I live in a house that's old, and not too many people are interested in a house with crooked floors and awkward uh, composition. But anyway, uh, I have talks with myself. I have talks with stuff that I write on the book, and then I have... Uh, things that I write down, no one will see it, but sometimes just the process of writing something down 
is your way of thinking about it. Catharsis, I think, is the word. Uh, I have any number of discussions with myself. Sometimes they don't make sense, but that's okay. Okay, Jerry Jones. Yes. When you make a comment like that, an interviewer like me has mm. got to follow up. Yes. Why do you go home to just you? Have you been in love? Have you been in relationships? Very few and very few. And I don't know why that is. Uh, some people would say it's karma. I don't exactly understand that. I'll tell you about my mom, and I think it may have been seeing her. Even though she was divorced in the late 40s, when she died at age 93, she had never remarried. Uh, she had a few boyfriends, but none that lasted, if you will. And I guess it, instinctively, maybe I was somehow influenced by that model, the fact that she was able to do, except for when I helped her, she was able to do so many things that back in the day women didn't do. Um, when it came to repairing the house, she could do that. When it came to mowing the yard, she could do that. When it came to playing the piano at church, she could do that. Too. In other words, she could do everything. So I'm sure some of that had an influence on me. Jerry, I've known you for long for a long time. Yes. I feel like we're friends. I'm going to keep pressing on sure. the personal stuff. One more thing. Okay. You referred to the beginning of this interview. You referred to yourself as skinny. Yes. You were the music guy. Yes. You were not the athletic guy. Right. How did that affect your image of yourself and maybe relationships? Good point. When I was in high school, like the first year, I was not involved in music yet. I wasn't a leader. I didn't have much to say, but things changed. Uh, I don't know that it was deliberate on my part, but by the time I was a senior, I was like a leader at the school. It wasn't a big school. You have to understand that it was not a Patrick Henry size school. It was our size school. I was uh, head of the student council, went to all the football games, I went to the dances, even though my dancing was not to be applauded, <laughs> <laughs> and so forth. So, um, and I was even on television to represent our high school. It was a game show called Club Quiz, Classroom, oh, classroom, classroom Quiz. Classroom Quiz, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and all of that, while I was able to maintain an A average, looking back on it, I don't know how I did that. I do know that I stayed up late at night doing homework and stuff. And You're whatever. just an overachiever of the nth degree. I guess. And we've got, gosh, we've just got like 10 more minutes. Okay. You're so fascinating, and people need to look for your book. It's called They Included Me, a five-decade teaching career by Jerry L. Jones on Amazon. Can people find yes. it there? Yes, yes. They Included Me. Right. So from Douglas High School... Jerry Jones, yes. overachiever, as we have established, <laughs> right. is certainly going to go to college. Yes. Can't afford colleges in general. Right. But you get on a train. Yes. And you take off where and how? To Petersburg, Virginia, which is just about 20 miles south of uh, Richmond. Uh, I changed trains in Roanoke uh, to get there. I had never been to the school. 
I had never visited. And when I started teaching here at Emory especially and saw all the freshmen or would-be freshmen coming in and checking out the school and talking with faculty and groups and whatnot, I said, boy, have times changed. Well, maybe they were doing that in 1965. I don't know, but I didn't. But the reason I chose Virginia State, well, two reasons. One, I had a scholarship because I was the number one uh, ranked person in our senior class. And the other reason, uh, some thought I might go to here to Emory, but to do so, I would have been like the pioneer transitional uh, for the integrated situation. Yeah, and so you chose not to be the black kid right. who just enrolled at Emory and Henry. Right, right. And Jerry, let's jump ahead. We're skipping two institutions where you taught, but you came back yes. to teach yes. at Emory and Henry. Yes. How did that feel? Well, the year that I moved back was was weird. Uh, the day that I got my last belongings home, my one and only brother died. So that was one thing that threw me off. Of course, I knew my mom had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so that was thing number two. And number three I did, thing was me personally, and it didn't dawn on me until I started writing these books and it started coming out. I was freaking out to teach here. I mean, it was like, why do they want me to teach that? What do I know? Even though I had been teaching... 30-plus years at Richmond, Baltimore, and all these other places, and then it dawned on me it was all of the, uh, what do preachers call it, all the baggage that I was carrying about my growing up in this region, watching this school go by as we drove past it on our way to the segregated school. All of that stuff started to hit me. I told no one. Uh, I had quiet moments at home after I put my mom to bed to sort of uh, get my mind together. And eventually I stayed 20 years and it was a, it was a joy. Oh, my goodness. And what inclusion you had here. But, you know, that thing about how children need a role model. Yes. If they don't see a black person playing tennis or they exactly. don't see a black lawyer. You know, in my case, if you didn't see women, you just didn't right. picture yourself exactly like that. But do you feel like you, that you did come to terms and resolve that? I did. Issue? I did. Uh, I don't know exactly. It, it turned out uh, uh, it evolved gradually, but somehow it just uh, dawned on me that so many things that happen in my life. I'm talking about the good and the bad, but mostly the good, it wasn't that I had a master plan. I didn't sit down and say, well, I'm going to go to Virginia State and I'm going to get this master's from them and then I'm going to go to Virginia Tech and then I'm going to move back home. And None of that. I had no clue. And so someone who's been in church like 60 or 70 years listening to a thousand ministers talk about it, it started to get into my psyche that most of this stuff was meant to be. It wasn't my master plan. You just followed the opportunities. I of the opportunity. It was like in one of the, the first book I wrote 
was a textbook in programming, and it had something called flowcharts in it. And a flowchart like shows the computer how to get from this point to this point. So there was a chart that planned my life long before I got to live that life. We are so fast running out of time. We should have scheduled two hours to talk to you. (laughs) But let's just cover the basics. of After you got your master's degree at Virginia State University, your next job was teaching high school business in Baltimore. That was my first job. High school business was my first job. So I had a bachelor's degree when I went to Baltimore because no system in Virginia would hire me to be a high school teacher. Even though I went to some places for an interview in person, they said they had no vacancies. Yeah, they had no vacancies, but it seems to me, I recall that you determined that there were vacancies, they just told you there were. Right, and I think in retrospect, the reason probably was, and you talked about the difference of black and white and male and female, If I had been African-American female, some of them may have felt more, would have felt more comfortable. But you know that mystique of male, black, are to, at least in the 60s, that's not a good thing. That people were afraid of black men. Yes. Henry Till was his name. Yeah, who was killed. Killed, yes. For what, trying to vote? Yes. Oh. Gee, um, yeah, well, we can't get onto that whole thing because we've got to at least cover the basics. But first of all, in Baltimore, was that where there was a protest in the school? Well, there was a, uh, yes, there was a protest there. It was a, uh, uh, it was started because allegedly uh, all the teachers, most of the teachers were female, most of them were older white women. A white woman teacher allegedly use uh, uh, the N-word against one of her students, and that caused a riot. And then what happened? School was closed that day, but I stayed and taught there yet another year. Police came? Yes. What'd they do? Uh, Mace, I think, and trying to get the kids to go back into their classroom. reason I hesitate is because they told me to lock my door and keep my students in, so I did what they told me. I didn't see any of the activity, so everything I got was secondhand. All right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're teaching in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and then the next job was your long-term job at a community college, yeah. J. Sargent Reynolds Community right. College. How many years did you teach there, and what did you teach? Seven years. And programming was my main thing, and for us then, the language that I taught almost every one of those 27 years was something called COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, which was used on a lot of mainframe computers, and I understand it's still on some computers across the land and country after all these years, 27 years. And then how is it that we got so lucky to get you down here at Emory & Henry? Well, I moved to Glade Spring primarily to take care of my mom because she was living by herself at the time in the house where she was born and all that, where I was born and stuff. And so I decided that it would be easier for me to retire from Richmond than trying to come home 
on weekends to sort of monitor her care. We had some caregivers coming in, but I needed to monitor the givers and the mom too. So I decided to uh, retire. So I've actually retired twice now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the title of your book is They Included Me, and you shared with us the reservation you had about included in being included in this white preeminent institution in Southwest Virginia, and you're coming here to teach. I just want to ask you at this point, with all of your accomplishments, people all over this region know you. They know your music. They know your writing. If they know you, they know what a wonderful person you are. Do you realize how included you are in such a big way? Well, yes. Uh, I would be Lying if I said I'm up all the time. When I say up, I mean in attitude and uh, euphoria and whatnot. I think everybody goes through down moments. But I was telling somebody the other day that when I'm up, I'm further up than I used to be. And when I'm down, I'm not as down as I used to be. So that's good. What a perfect thing to say. What a perfect ending Uh, to this interview. And just let me encourage people, go to Amazon or somewhere, order They Included Me, a five-decade teaching career by Jerry Jones, my wonderful guest today, my friend. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. You've been listening to this conversation here on WEHC 90.7, also on WISE-FM. If you missed part of it, go to your podcast site, search engine, and put WEHC this conversation. This conversation, Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.